0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever it is you're listening from, and welcome back to another excellent episode of AI and the Future of Work. I am your host, Dan Turchin, and uh, I'm super excited to have today's guest on the pod joining me today uh, live. Most of these we do remote, but uh, today me and my guest are sitting, uh, sitting eyeball to eyeball. I'm here with... My friend Reza Nazaman, who is the CIO of SAP Concur, um, has been a multiple-time CIO and has so many interesting stories to share with us today. Um, with that, let me kick it off and let you hear from the master himself. Reza, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you for the warm introduction. Um... Uh, now you have raised the bar really high, and I have to see how I can easily meet that. <laughs> but uh, I have no
0: uh, concerns.
1: <laughs> let's, uh,
0: let's start off just by sharing with the audience a uh, yes. little bit more about your background.
1: Yeah, so I don't know where to start really, but I've been quite international my entire life, not only on the professional side, but also privately. I uh, spent uh, most of my life in Germany um, and uh, traveled quite a bit. I was working on nearly every continent. And for the last seven years, I've been living in the U.S., but always had global roles. Um, yeah, family, uh, four of four, wife, uh, two daughters, teenagers, fun time. And I uh, love comparing cultures, I love connecting cultures, like connecting dots. And um, as you said, done a lot of uh, work on the CIO in the CIO space operationally, but also been on the other side of the fence, having CIOs as customers. I was doing a CIO advisory practice for KPMG. So that was also fun, and I just enjoy switching sides so I don't get too stuck on
0: one end. I think there are a lot of myths about exactly what a CIO does. Um, <laughs> you've been one for a lot of your professional career. Yeah. Tell our listeners, what's, what's a day in your life look like?
1: Well, the CIO, uh, as many as, of my peers have already heard it uh, has a stance for other things like chief information officer it could be that um she a uh, uh, career is over right that's one one way to describe it or sometimes you hear chief invisible officer basically uh cios who just are not visible to the teams so and it actually sometimes happens and both happens actually career can be over and you know you it can become a situation where you're just so busy managing up that you just don't have time really to do your real job. Um, and, but this is basically, you know, taking it from a negative standpoint, <laughs> I don't want to give it you know, a positive spin. And um, I, I saw that I really tried to avoid these two pitfalls in my career. And, and also another element around the CIO job is that nearly every company I've worked at, the CIO role was not really considered as kind of the forefront runner role, it was more like, okay, you are there in the machine room, and just you make sure that our systems are for running, when you talk to stakeholders or end users, you know, what's the first thing which comes to mind when you think about the CIO activity, it's like, Oh, my laptop is working, or my laptop is broken, right. So and, and as many of you know, the role is much, much broader, it's really, and in these days, when we talk about digital transformation, you see that there is more and more relevance. attributed to that role now it's always a matter what you make out of it right so there are situations where cios indeed do nothing else than infrastructure support and because that's table stakes i mean there is an old saying infrastructure never makes a cio but it can break the cio so so that's certainly true table stakes you need to make that well before you earn the right to grow and to expand your area of accountability right but if you know Another, now there I don't want to put too much wisdom here into the, into the podcast, but another stats around CIOs is that the usual lifetime is two to five years. And why is that? Because, you know, there's pressure, there's lots of accountabilities, there's lots of dependencies on systems and there is high expectations. And then uh, if you don't take enough risks, then you don't move really the needle. So you have to basically find the right there. So obviously there's also the... Uh, you run easily into a situation where you are blamed for things which are basically not working right so so you have that element as well but overall it's a very broad role and you know, what people often forget is not just about technology there's a lot of the people element is so important the cultural element is so important especially if you run large global teams you know you see that conference calls, right you know run usually our us headquarters you know we often forget you know that other cultures maybe are not as extrovert as we are, right. And they, they don't speak up. And then we sometimes think that it's just because they just are too shy, maybe, or they just, you know, are not uh, performing, right. And that that would be really the false conclusion. But sometimes it happens that way. And we need to be respectful about different cultures, and how people busy interact together and take the best out of each 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 group, right. So, so I think it's a very broad role, there is high expectations, and uh, CIOs earn the right to have a seat at the table, at the executive table. It's not always given, also depends who they report to, obviously. I mean, that's the starting point, but then you can earn the right because reporting line organizational structure is just one element, but it's also important to prove it, right? To prove relevance and to prove impact and also to demonstrate what it means. You know, chief security officers sometimes are part of the CIO organization. Sometimes they report to the CIO, sometimes they are a peer to the CIO. Um, sometimes they're total different organizational unit, right? I mean, I personally prefer actually the CISO to be independent from the CIO. Um, but that's also another, I mean, we can talk maybe next time with a CISO role, but they have, of course, also a huge, huge burden to carry and also justify always investments is always harder for them than for CIOs. But for, even for us, you know, there are certain things which are easy to justify and others harder. And ideally you turn basically the situation around and, and ask, involve the business early enough that they sponsor engagements, as opposed to pushing things up the hill from IT organization. At the same time, CIOs don't want to be just order takers, order takers, right? I want to be partners of the business. So highly complex setup, uh, lots of challenges, lots of opportunities, never gets boring. So people who have not been in that role, you know, especially in technology software firms, I've been working various software firms. Now I'm at SAP Concur, I was previously at Microsoft. We are considered sometimes, you know, like, okay, you run the IT in the background, right? And we do the business on the forefront, right? So so we have to work an extra step, right? To prove that actually, we also have a huge kind of impact on the outcome on the top line as well, not just bottom line, not, not just cost saving, right? and. And that's, that's usually appreciated if you can prove that.
0: A lot of themes there that I <laughs> want to unpack. Um, one of which is, um, do you think of yourself as first a technologist or first a people manager? And then the, the, the part two yes. of that question is, is what you think of yourself as being reflected in kind of your, your daily calendar? Yes.
1: I would say, uh, actually, I would add a third dimension, which is business, I would say I'm first business because I've worked in various industries, and every industry is different, every industry has different priorities. I mean, starting with also like, uh, you know, the, the cross margin, right? You know, you have you know, worked with a software company, obviously, you're almost like spoiled, right? Uh, for example, Microsoft, right? So, So you have more means, more flexibility, right? But I've also worked in you know really low margin businesses where every dollar really matters right there of course you have to be more much more cost conscious about the investments you make you need to be to much more thoroughly thinking through what it, what it takes right to to really question everything we do in it whether that's necessary to drive the business forward or not and sometimes you know it departments become kind of self self sufficient self containing we just have meetings and conference calls and You know important you know projects to run and and we lose my sometimes sites of the connection to the business Mm outcome, right so i would say that's that's first and and second i would say it's certainly people because people matter much 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 more than technology technology at the end of the day is is created and also is is coming together through people who can collaborate together so if the people component doesn't work nothing works in technology right and and I've talked to many business stakeholders in my previous lives who assumed, well, you just start IT, you just finish a project and then we don't need IT anymore. Well, that doesn't work that way as well. Because no matter to which extent we automate, there is still people on a point necessary. And, and actually by automation, all we do is we, we increase this level of sophistication and also you know, the intellectual kind of opportunities for, for our for our engineers as a, you know, and move away of a routine task, and manual task from, from the desk so they can focus on much, much more exciting jobs, right? So all up actually makes so much sense. And I would say people first,
0: technology next. Um, I've seen different CIOs thrive externally, kind of as an evangelist for the business. Yes. And others thrive internally as, you know, kind of a leader of internal technology initiatives. Where do you thrive?
1: And here again, I would see a third uh, component, which is end customer. So, so what I've done with Microsoft, for example, uh, I tried really to split the time. I didn't kind of took really uh, note on exactly how many hours I spent in each area, but but I tried to spend about twenty percent of my time with end customers, and and that was a very very good engagement with our. Um, solution teams out there, with the customers because the customers, yeah, always very interested in how we had implemented our own products, right? Within our own company, we called it the "eat your own dog food" exercise, right? And then if you take the other eighty percent, then I would say that you know internally has always that uh, connotation of, of um, overhead or maybe not really needed, right? So, so I would say I would differentiate there, and I would say that. Uh, it's important to spend a lot of time with the business and not just for, for myself, but also my leadership team to understand what where the priorities lie and how the business is evolving and where the dependencies are on IT. So we can do a good job and internally to implement that. And even the entire, I would say every individual in my IT team, uh, is working on increasing the business savviness because if you're just experts in our field and are you know, detached from what's really happening out there, what the customer pain points are to start with, and then how we're solving them with our products, then we it will be really hard to to do, to match. I mean, there are some pictures on the internet where you see people building bridges, and they don't you know fit in the middle, right? That would be a bit an analogy which comes to, to mind when I think about this topic.
0: See so joked earlier, uh, CIO means career is over. Um, why is it that uh, it's such a uh, a role with such a short shelf life? What what is it that CIOs miss that uh, that don't stick stick around very long?
1: I would say that the two ways our careers can be over, right? one is just towards kind of becoming a, a like a, a deadlock where you just can't advance your career anymore, right? So you have done maybe you know. Good career in sales marketing, right? And and after a while, maybe your sales numbers are not as great anymore. And then the CEO looks at you and says, well, Reza, you did a great job. Uh, I don't want to lose you, uh, but I don't see your future in sales anymore. So why don't you just do the CEO job? And I mean, to pick my name, but this situation actually had happened a lot of times in mm-hmm. any, a number of companies I've been at. Where senior leaders from the business side were just assigned the CIO job, or actually the head of HR, same thing, <laughs> that role, because there were just you know uh, there was no more space for them on the on the business side or the sales marketing side in most cases or product. Um, that's one way, and and that's you know that that's it basically. So that's one way how you can associate c- careers over to the, to a scenario. The other way is, of course, if you, again, do too many things at once, because as a CIO, you just have, I mean, I used to work also in consulting. Consulting was so much easier than being in a CIO role, because in consulting, you have a clear mandate, you have a clear scope, you have a clear budget and clear or more or less timeline. I mean, of course, there is some, you know, there is some slippage stupid, there, but all up, it's there is clarity around the priorities you have for certain tasks and resources. In IT, you don't have that. In IT, you have a broad spectrum of things you could do. You never have enough resources and you never have enough time. So then you start the game, right? Then you start to prioritize, you start to assign resources. You try to run fast. You want to have quick wins. You don't want to kind of go into old style waterfall mode where things never, never arrive. Right. And it's always promised and the mechanics keep down the road all the time. So you want to have that notion, and and what happens then is as you you move sometimes to a spiral spiral where you create you know momentum around certain things, you deliver outcomes, you deliver great project outcomes, and and the people you deliver these projects or these outcomes to, they 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 gain appetite and they want more, and you also want more, right? And then you, and then you you it could be that you spin too many plates at the same time. And, and and also complexity of course kills you sometimes, right? That the systems become too complex, you don't have enough experts, including yourself, who understand really the end-to-end picture. And, and no matter how many architects you hire, you still kind of struggle with that. Right. And and of course there's war for talent. You know, there's you know every company wants to hire the best technology resources. I mean, being in technology, there could be a better time than today for all of us to be in this in this industry. So all that pressure leads to a situation where failures are inevitable. And then it's a matter of, you know, which failure leads to which consequence. Right. And, and, you know, things crash, you know, there might be a business impact. there might be a huge financial impact, right? If this happens a few times, if systems become start to become unstable. Then of course the CIO gets under pressure. If, if you know, some smart CIOs see that coming. And then, you know, start engaging with other companies and then, you know, jump to the next job. That's one way to do it. And, uh, the other way is basically just career ends and then they just, you know, have it, maybe just and leave for a while and then start something new. But I would say I wouldn't really reduce kind of that dynamic to CIOs. If you look at CEOs in corporate America, we have pretty much the same Uh, dynamic as we speak. And if you look at the stats, you know, how, what was the lifetime of CEO maybe 20 years ago compared to now, it's, 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 it's reducing, right. Um, And another factor which plays to that is competition, right? It's just as simple as that. New leaders going to pop up, who just are extremely smart and extremely competent. And, and if you're chairing of the board of, of of a company, no matter which size, you look at the people who run your company today. You look at the potential people who have out there, and then you replace, right? So, so that's a natural, you know, uh, effect which which comes to play. But all up, there are there is not really a loser in that game these days because of the situation, economy, and technology. So, if people have the right network, if people have the right also skills and profiles, they just land somewhere else because those those resources are so needed. Who went through those? experiences actually who had those failures those are the ones you want to hire first because they also have a good sense of reality as opposed to being a bit reckless and you know so there is always a positive side to this
0: so you've already challenged the assumption that to be a great cio you first uh just have to love technology and be kind of a gadget head um we got a lot of listeners yes. on, on the podcast yeah. who let's say are aspiring yeah to be great cios yes what in your career roll back the clock yeah what are the skills that you've cultivated over the years that make you a great CIA? i would say
1: uh, a very important component around that is sheer leadership so uh, i have a lot of friends who are masters in technology and and they're geniuses right but do not necessarily actually enjoy engaging with people they are more introverts right which is fine Right. But being on that end is, of course, harder than to step up into a leadership role because being a leader means you have to engage with with people all the time. Right. And you need to enjoy that because people feel that there's a resonance coming back and forth. Right. That's one element. The other one is, of course, let's let's assume people love engaging with, with others. That's not the only criteria because then you need to earn the trust. And trust is built on various pillars. Right. One of which is also competence. You know, if. If I'm an incompetent leader, then nobody will follow me because it was like, well. Why should I? I mean, it's just like no, it is taking us down the hill, right? So you have to have that component, and you have to convince them not just by sh- telling, but by showing, right? I mean, there is another old. I mean, I feel like well, wise men now. He went to say mm-hmm. this old saying: people don't don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So that's basically was applicable in that case as well. So I think all these all these components come together and strong leadership i mean for me the turning point was at mckinsey because i had very strong leaders um uh, as my boss and the boss of my boss and i i just watched them i watched them in action i watched them what they do sometimes it was just uh, the way how they reacted to comments it wasn't always what they said sometimes it was just a facial expression which made a difference the way how they were present in the room the way how they were actively listening and these were all new new elements to me. I was pretty young those days and I didn't study that at college. So I was just studying them and I was like, wow, I mean, this is, I see the impact on me. So what I need to do is I need to become a bit like them and yeah, copy them in a way. But of course, the more I copy, the more I repeat, the more it becomes part of my DNA. So that's, I started to grow as the leader and it was not just uh, through leadership trainings. I don't discredit those actually. I have, visited a number of those as well, but, but a lot was just self self-learning. And that was, that was really fun to see, uh, the cause and effect when you
0: act in a certain way, how it arrives with, with, with the audience. So you've been part of some really iconic corporate cultures from McKinsey to Microsoft to now SAP. Um, what are the attributes of a great culture?
1: Uh, that's that's a very uh very good question very heavy question right because a a good could mean good to somebody and could mean bad to somebody else right so i would say generally spoken there's there are different cultures which there is not one single culture which succeeds right or which is good or bad right but it's just a matter of the perception of the audience of the crowd right so there could be maybe maybe 10 or 12 different categories. I didn't study that. Right. I probably, there must be some um, scientific papers around that. Right. For what type of cultures or what identified cultures and so on and so forth. But what I experienced in the practical world is, for example, the culture of McKinsey was so different to the culture of Microsoft, but both cultures were really kind of inspiring to me. They, they were, they were, I mean, what I'll Love of Microsoft, for example, is that every single employee loved the company. And I was like, how come that they love the company? Because when I was working consulting at KPMG McKinsey, we had a number of programs which we called corporate identity. We ran corporate identity programs. So people embraced the culture. It was pushed and there was nothing like that at Microsoft, but people still loved it. So I would, I tried to understand how come that people love the company without a push from the top. And that was exactly the reason because it wasn't pushed from the top to love the company. Right. And of course I was part also, uh, at Microsoft when we went through a major cultural transformation with Satya Nadella and he's, he's very iconic to that end. And I saw a lot of great things he did by role modeling the way as a leader and, and changing the way how we all were operating. To give you an example, in the old Microsoft days, we were celebrating every time we were shipping a product. And he stopped that. I said it doesn't make sense to celebrate when you ship a product because it it only makes sense if the customer really adopts it. That's where we actually said. so he stopped all these parties and it was a big shock to people. But they understood the reasoning behind that. Now a few words from McKinsey. They are the most professional company I ever have seen in my life. The way how they engage with customers, the way how they structure the teams, the way how they deliver. Of course, working really hard. I mean, the day started eight a.m and normally ended at 8 PM and that was just normal. And usually you did extra hours after that. So so that was that element, which was maybe a bit uh, not so nice, especially in these days. I think if I talk to young college graduates, nobody likes that notion, right? They are by far more spoiled and they wanna have also some life, which I understand. But the level of discipline I, show, I saw there and the, the way how we basically were obsessed by the customer and really made sure that everything, is delivered to perfection to the customer and has really true impact for the customer. I've never seen anything like that before. And of course, people joke sometimes about consultants that adjusted their PowerPoints. Not applicable in that case. I mean I mean there was really more delivered, and there is a reason why these companies
0: still strive and still grow. Fascinating answer. Really insightful. Thank you. Um feels like we're just getting started. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're, get, we're gonna run out of time here. Yeah. And and I gotta get in this one last question. Yeah. Um, I want to know, what's uh, what's your advice for a younger version of Reza? Yeah, well, I have lots of advices. <laughs> and uh, I have two
1: teenage daughters, and uh, what I noticed is that they just don't listen to my advices. So so it doesn't work there, for sure. Um, and, so, and that's a conclusion for me for them. It's they have to just go through and learn their own lessons their way, the same way I have done that. And I remember... Whenever my dad started to give me advice, the moment he started, it it sounded like an advice, I didn't, I stopped listening, but still I give it a try. I mean, I would say if I would put myself into my shoes 25 years or 30 years ago, um, I would probably have, could have done more with regards to thinking outside of the box because a lot of what happened throughout my career so far has been to a certain degree, a result of the influence of everybody around me and everything I, I, I perceived in a, in a near kind of c- circle around me, right? At college, I had a good friend, told me, you know, hey, you know, this network stuff is really taking off, we should focus, and I was studying computer science, let's do networks. I said, okay, let's do it. And I went there, and indeed, that was the beginning of the internet revolution. So, so it was pure coincidence if i would have bumped to somebody else i would have been maybe somewhere else now right it's database or whatever which is also good but but so that's that's one example and then you know i was in consulting you know i was first running the it department consulting i saw the consultants like what they do so i wanted to become one of them i want to become a partner in consulting so that was what, what i aspired for, went there so so it was all kind of and and then in software you know it cio i saw cio roles i love cio roles that's why i do cio I never stepped out and said, okay, so what else is out there? Totally independent of what I've done so far and what I've studied so far, what I've seen so far, because if I would have done that, probably the spectrum of opportunity would be by an order of magnitude higher. I don't want to sound dissatisfied. Everything went knock on wood quite well so far, but it would have been probably an even more exciting journey just to explore the unknown and see where the journey takes you of course there's a little risk element associated to that and also it's outside of the comfort zone but but if i could convince my kids to try that that i would love i would love to to see where the where that takes them and you know what the result will be there for them with regards to personal happiness
0: that's great advice. I'm going to go home and share some of that with my two daughters. <laughs> with attribution, of course. Uh, Reza, we're about out of time. Uh, this has been great. I, I, uh, like I said, I feel like we're just getting started. Maybe uh, you'll take me up on the offer. We'll come and do part two yes, another time.
1: Yes, thank you very much.
0: Uh, good stuff. Uh, you've been listening to another fascinating episode of AI and the Future of Work with today's great uh, great guest, Reza Nazaman, CIO of SAP Concur. I'm your host, Dan Turchin. Tune in next week for another great episode. Thank you for listening.